Father, we believe, and as a wise but desperate man once said to you, Jesus, help our unbelief. Your word is all true. You are all true. You are always and ever faithful. It is impossible, Lord, for you to deny yourself and your own. So give us the grace and the humility to listen to your word, believe it with all of our hearts, and that that belief, Lord, I pray this morning, would be met by its actual proof, which is obedience. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. We are excited that you're here. I heard the word excited about 28 times before I got up here, and the reason we're all saying it is it's all true. We've had to set up chairs for a lot of you. We're so glad that you're here in this first of two services, and I'm particularly glad that you've joined us today in the beginning of a new series. And if you've been at Crosspoint for a long time, this series will be familiar. You might even be a little bit put out that we are going to talk about something that we have talked about twice before. The reason we are going to talk about it, it's the only series I've ever repeated, and let me quickly hasten to say, the concept is the same. The teaching, my study, my preparation, these sermons, they're all new because I'm on the journey with you. I'm on the path with you toward what we are talking about, which is spiritual maturity. Every single one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ was born to grow up. If you've come this morning as a seeker or a skeptic, if for some reason you find yourself surprised to be here, and you're not entirely sure why a group of people who mostly don't know each other, because in a church of our size nobody knows every single other person, that's why I'm going to make an effort after the second service to be in the building beside here just to meet a few more of you. I hope you'll come back if you'd like uh, to get acquainted for just a few minutes. Believe me, my wife will tell you, knowing me is no treat. <laughs> but I'm here. This is who I am. It's, all, it's the best I can do, at least this morning, hopefully better next week. But we really do want to welcome you into relationship because... All of you, whether you know Jesus better than I do, or you're the skeptic who finds yourself surprised to be in church, wondering why people sing, wondering if when these people sing, when we all sing together, if anybody's listening, what I have to tell you from the Bible is all true. My explanation and my illustrations, my applications at points may fail. They may be off target. I hope not. I pray not. I've worked so that it will not be so, but I can be mistaken. God and His Word never can. Jesus is absolutely truthful. In fact, Jesus is more than truthful. Jesus had the boldness to say, I am the way. What's the rest of it? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why we're here, because we're all on the journey of becoming like Jesus. That's our intention. A great business consultant said that there are really only two questions in consulting. The first is, what is our business? Because a lot of companies and a lot of organizations lose their way. I remember years ago, for instance, an organization had a brand new gymnasium but was so proud of it, the floor was so beautiful that they hardly ever let anybody use it. And this went on for years until some bold, wise leader said, did we build a gym 
so that basketball could be played, or did we build a gym to have a gym? And that question opened everybody's eyes, and they started letting people into the gym. You may have worked with a company. You may have found yourself in a friendship. You may find yourself in your family where you're not really sure what you're about. This man said the two questions are, what is our business and how is business? And the business of Cross Point Church, the business of every gospel-preaching church, the business of every true Christian church is simply this. We are to be disciples who make disciples. Jesus told us to be His disciples. That was by far His favorite way to refer to His followers, disciples. What does that even mean, though? This is all by way of introduction so that you can be reminded why this series exists, why this church exists, what we're all trying to do together. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, there's a hinge in the ministry of Jesus. He has been preaching by Himself. He has been telling people around Israel to turn away from their sin, in other words, to repent, because the kingdom of God had come. He was announcing His arrival. Jesus was preaching about what I'm preaching about this morning. Jesus was preaching about Himself. And perhaps for as long as nearly a year, certainly for several months, Jesus preached alone, but in Matthew chapter 4, He started calling disciples to Himself. And He very famously called two fishermen with these words. Will you read these words of Jesus with me? Matthew 4, verse 19. It says, He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Do you remember what they did? They dropped the nets, and they literally, physically started walking after Him. In their culture, they were signaling that they would never be the same, that He would be in charge, that even their vocation, their family business, was going to literally be left behind them. We can use this very simple Bible verse to remind ourselves of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. You can use this as a way of measuring your own spiritual maturity, which is all discipleship is. Follow me. That means that Jesus is in charge of us. We're not in charge. He is. There are way too many Christians who claim to be following Jesus that when confronted with a plain teaching from God's Word and sometimes the very words of Jesus, listen to what Jesus has to say and then say, yeah, but... I had a guy in my office several years ago say, I don't care what Jesus said. And I appreciated the clarity because now I knew where we actually stood. It wasn't about anything that Jesus said. He said so. Such a person is not a Christian in any sense of the word. They may not be Muslim. They may not be Hindu. They may describe themselves as Christian in a demographic sense for a pollster. If Jesus isn't in charge of you, you're not really a Christian. You're only a cultural Christian. Did any of you grow up in the South where they practice what I might call churchianity? where everybody knows the lingo, but the obedience to Jesus is very much negotiable on what I feel like on that particular day and moment, that's not Christianity. That's not discipleship. Jesus also said, I will make you. That means that Jesus is changing us. The disciples that started following Him, the 
former fishermen had no idea how their lives would change. And you can read their stories and you can see them struggle and battle through the changes. You can see one of them in particular on occasion argue with Jesus. But when Jesus calls you, it's not only for you to follow him, it's for him to change you along the way. And Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. You're now going to be fishing for people. In other words, he was using a metaphor, using wordplay to say, you've been all about fish, now you're going to be all about people. And that means simply that Jesus is calling us to join him in his work. That is what it means to be a disciple. If you're a disciple, in other words, you are following Jesus. In other words, it's reaching your head, you're growing in knowledge of God, you have a better understanding of who Jesus is. It's also reaching your heart as you are being changed by Jesus, and it's also reaching your hands as you begin to work along with Jesus, be partner and obedient disciple to him in doing his work in the world. A genuine disciple is being changed in his mind, what he knows, what he thinks. He is being changed in his heart. In other words, who he is at his very center, who she is as her actual identity in essence. And the activity of that disciple is also being changed as that woman, that man, begins to involve themselves in activities and do things that were previously unattractive or unknown, head, heart, and hands. Here's why we're teaching this series. If you neglect any of these things, your growth will be incomplete and unchristlike. There are churches and Christians who, because of their temperament, specialize in one of these areas and reduce being a disciple of Jesus to an experience, generally, often, our side of the Christian world. It's all a head experience. It is endless knowledge endless change, endless depth, except he's a jerk. The heart hasn't changed much. Others are all about character transformation with a very fuzzy understanding of who God actually is and a genuine love for him. Others are more activist churches. They are out in the community doing many things, but they're not entirely sure who they're doing them for. And if someone asks an eternal question, they don't have the capacity to speak from a genuine knowledge of God that has also transformed their heart. Does this make sense so far? I have a leaning, I have a preference in these areas, so do you. I won't tell you what mine is. Those of you who, may, who know me well could probably guess, but it doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's about a wholehearted, whole person, head, heart, and hands becoming like Jesus. And now in the time I have left, I want to tell you why you should make every effort to obey Jesus and be his disciple, and grow up spiritually. That's the point of this series. That's the journey that we're on for six weeks. I'm going to try to set a metaphorical table, explain to you that God is your father, that Jesus is your brother who died for you, lived in your place, died a righteous death in your place to cover your sins, to welcome you into the family of God so that God could call you his beloved daughter, his beloved son. 
But once you're in the family, God has expectations and plans and purposes and promises for you, and you should know what they are with your head. You should allow them to transform the person you once were, and you should absolutely join Jesus in His work. And that is called growing up. Here's why you should make every effort to grow up spiritually. First of all, you were born into God's family to grow up. That seems obvious when we think about it in the physical realm. Babies are absolutely delightful, aren't they? Did you hear the mixed reaction? (laughs) Babies are absolutely delightful. There's nothing better than a newborn being welcomed into a family. There is greater cause for celebration. I drove to Whittier yesterday just to be part of a ritual in America called a baby shower. What did we do? We showered that young, happy, expectant couple with gifts. They had a very cool idea. They said, don't bring us a card, bring us a baby book, bring us a children's book. Put your name in it, and that way we will remember for years as we read to our child, we will remember what you did for us. What a phenomenal idea. What was I thinking back when I was having, uh, back when we were welcoming our kids? I was desperate for money. If you had cash... (laughs) or gift cards, I'm all in. I'm ready. (laughs) See, that precious little girl who will arrive about two months from now, her parents have something that they really haven't thought about yet because they're so focused on the arrival. But if they thought about it for five seconds, and perhaps they have, it's too much to think about now because a baby is on the way, but eventually you want that baby to walk. And you want that baby to look you in the eyes and know who you are and call you mama or papa and walk into school someday and make friends and develop intellectually in such a way that someday that child is telling you things that you don't know. And you're marveling at the wisdom of your own child. And your real dream probably is that someday that child will be more mature than you are. And with some of us, it won't take much. That child will get there soon. But we want that child to be wise and strong and capable, and we want that child to get something called a job, right? We were all born into this world physically to grow up. It is the same spiritually. Look in your Bibles now with me, please, in the book of Colossians. I have so much to tell you. I just want to read the Apostle Paul explaining himself to a group of Christians he had not yet met. Paul didn't have anything to do personally with the beginning of the Colossian church, but I want you to hear him express his heart's desire for Christians he hasn't met. Paul said, we proclaim him, Jesus. We proclaim Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone, what's it say? Mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with His strength that works powerfully in me. We proclaim Jesus, and our goal is to present everyone, what's the word again? Mature in Christ. We heard of your faith. We were delighted with your faith. 
all we're doing, all my efforts, Paul says, all the sacrifices, all the beatings, all the imprisonment, everything that I do corresponds to the strength of God working through me, and the point of it all is to, so that you will be fully mature in Christ. If you know Christ, if you're on your way to heaven, if you have come to the point in your life where you realize the impossibility of saving yourself, and you've rejected religion, which invites you to save yourself through your own moral self-effort, if it's a self-invented religion, or if it's one of the great religions of the world, it gives you rules and invites you to keep them well enough, long enough, so that maybe someday God will accept you. The gospel cancels, denies all of that by saying you can't save yourself you have broken God's law. You are far from God. Your conscience tells you so every day. You feel shame and guilt when you consider the righteousness of God. So Jesus came, lived a righteous life in your place, laid his life physically down in death so that you could have eternal life, so that you could live forever. That's the gospel, that you turn from yourself and turn to him. And if you've already done that, God's purpose in saving you is to make you, this is going to sound radical, is to make you into the image of His Son, Jesus. You will always remain yourself, but because you're His disciple, you will one day, certainly in heaven, and God wants it to happen now, God wants you full-grown. And that is spiritual maturity, and that is why Paul says everything we do in proclaiming Christ, every effort we make is to present all of you mature. A second reason you should mature. Your maturity determines your level of enjoyment and endurance. That's true in life. Can a five-year-old enjoy things? Sometimes. Briefly in my experience. Has there ever been a five-year-old who's had a fantastic day with no upset from waking to sleeping? <laughs> no, they don't exist. Why is that? Immaturity. Lunch is five minutes later than I expected. These people hate me. They're trying to starve me. I will be dead by dinner. <laughs> All is lost. That's immaturity. I have a new toy. Fantastic. You're the best. Your kid's dancing in the living room. The parents are filming it. They're hoping to upload it on YouTube so it'll go viral and their kid will be worldwide uh, famous and maybe we'll get paid somehow. And then sister asks to borrow the toy. <laughs> What's the answer? No. And sister is grievously wounded by this abject selfishness, by this injustice perpetrated in this home where there are authority figures, but they are not righteous, and they do not love us, and they do not adjudicate with righteous wisdom. So there is fighting and complaining and depending on the kids. Thank God my kids were never like this. Sometimes it gets physical. It did get a little bit like this in my home sometimes. We had, a, we had a few holes and walls shaped exactly like the age of our teenage son for a while <laughs> when one would throw the other across the room through the drywall. That's immaturity. 
And your spiritual maturity determines your level of enjoyment and your level of endurance. Let me show you, because Proverbs is a book-length explanation in the Bible of spiritual maturity. That's what Proverbs is. Proverbs is like a long movie inviting you to watch two people make their way through life. One is called a wise man, the other is called a fool. And Proverbs tells you this is what the wise man does and says and thinks, and this is what the fool does and says and thinks. And it's sort of like, if you remember those old games, it's sort of like a choose-your-own-adventure. See what he did? You like that outcome? That could be yours if you're wise, if you revere God, if you do the right thing, if you act with love, if you act with loyalty. See this other man? See this woman making her way through life? Watch the disaster that engulfs her. Is that what you want to happen to you? That is the dynamic of Proverbs. Let me read to you its central verse, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the what? The beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That verse is the heart of Proverbs. Wisdom is not a matter of knowing facts. It is a matter of knowing and revering the God who made you. And the fear of the Lord, the right reverence, the loyal obedience to God that puts you in awe of Him, that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not a cringing fear. It is an awestruck, I am so impressed, I will be so grateful to this God, of course I will do what He says. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where true knowledge starts. What do fools do? They despise wisdom, and they despise instruction. Has anybody ever told you to grow up? Did you like it? Were they right? See, the next time somebody tells you, maybe in those exact words, that you need to grow up, before you tear their head off, listen. Because one of two things is happening. Either they're immature and foolish, or you are in that moment. Because what is being discussed is your maturity. Proverbs goes on to say, because this is a personal book, most of it written by Solomon, not all of it, but much of it written by Solomon to invite his son into a lifelong journey toward maturity. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What does that literary, what does that poetic language mean? Garlands for the head, pendants for the neck. Your father's wisdom, your mother's instruction, sit down, son, sit down, listen. Your mother and I know and love the Lord. He made us all. He made me. He made your mother. He made you. You were born because, according to Scripture, you are a gift and a heritage from God Himself. That's why you're here. He knows you. Your family, you yourself, are called by God's name. By God's faithfulness and mercy to us, 
We are His people. And the greatest gift and the greatest joy you will ever have in your life is knowing Him. Now listen, son. Listen to me when I instruct you. Listen to your mother when she teaches and corrects you. Because if you do, you will be crowned in life. If you do, you will wear medals of honor around your neck. Anybody see the Olympics? The greatest moment is when, after nine years of intense dedication with not much financial support, in toils and struggles that no one else saw except perhaps the coaches, and even the coach wasn't always there, a 28-year-old man or woman is crowned standing atop the podium, slightly above the other two who were so close to winning themselves, and a gold medal is placed around that grateful athlete's neck. In almost all experiences, if you'll look carefully, there will be tears glistening in their eyes. That's what Proverbs is offering in life. Crown for your head, honor around your neck, so that you will know and all will know how successful, how wonderful, how meaningful, how rewarding your life has been, but that will only come in a right relationship with God if you persistently choose truth and wisdom over foolishness and ignorance. Look in Proverbs chapter 3. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to teach it to you. It's just a word picture of what this looks like. Proverbs chapter 3. Listen to Solomon plead at length. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Length of days and years and life and peace they will add to you. There's a benefit, a long life and a peaceful one at that. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Wisdom rewards you with God and wisdom rewards you with other people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Can you hear the echo of discipleship from Jesus here? God's going to be in charge. Proverbs doesn't mean choose whatever path you like and God will help you get there. No, it says trust Him. Look to His understanding, look to His direction, and if you're entirely trusting Him, of course your path will be straight. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Is that easy or hard? Every single one of you thinks you're right. That's the miracle of spiritual transformation. A man who thinks he's right is talking to hundreds of people who think they're right. And the only way any of us will ever walk in the truth and be changed into the image of Jesus is if we all listen to Him. If I'm wrong, if I'm unloyal to Jesus, you've got to get rid of me. Be not wise, Paul, uh, the proverb says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Does that sound good to you? Amazing. Now it's going to get really mature. It's going to get really grown up in the next few verses. Ready? Fair warning. You ready? 
Because this actually, this next thing, which is connected to verses 5 and 6, which everybody loves, is in the same teaching. People are running around getting Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, tattooed on their bodies. No one is tattooing what I'm about to read. Why? Because they're not mature. Listen. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God says in His Word, as God blesses and prospers you financially, you honor Him with whatever He's provided. And then God in His mercy says that He will provide to you more in return. Very few Christians actually believe that, even though it's taught all the way across Scripture. That takes maturity. The next two verses take even more maturity. Nobody's getting this tattoo. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. Gardner translation, there will be times where God will pull you aside and spank you. And you need to take it well. And remember that his correction, painful as it is, proves only one thing. He's actually your father and he loves you and he corrects you for your own good. My father told me when I was a very little boy, he actually said that he was doing this for my good and that this was somehow more painful for him than it was for me. I didn't believe him. He's three times my size. He has the belt. This does not seem to make any sense whatsoever. And now, with sons of my own making grown-up decisions, sons who could bless the world or wreck their lives and shame their Savior and shame our family name with the decision they could make today, without my knowledge, I am so grateful for my dad's diligent insistence on correcting me. I understand now he was fighting the foolishness and the ignorance in my heart. And he drove it far from me, as Proverbs says elsewhere. This is maturity. This is the fully ordered spiritual life. You should insist and pursue spiritual maturity because, first, you were born into God's family to grow up, and your level of maturity determines whether you enjoy and endure because mature people can, endure, can enjoy every blessing and endure every storm. It won't be all blessings. There will be pain in your life. Have you noticed yet? The only way you will get through it and be a better person for it and show up as a real Christian in the middle of suffering is if you are mature before the storm begins. So you better get started. Immature people, on the other hand, can't enjoy anything for long and they crumble under every trial. They're like that five-year-old. I said in the beginning that a business consultant said that there's only two questions to consult a business. What is our business and how is business? Do you know what Disneyland's business is? Do you know how they think of what they do at Disneyland? I haven't checked in years, but their mission used to be simply this to make people happy. 
How do they do? I did not expect dead air right there. I'll be honest with you. If you've been to Disneyland, how do they do trying to make people happy? It's astonishing. All ages go to Disneyland and say, wow. Who's not having a good time? The very small children. (laughs) Who do not know that mom and dad drove from Tupelo, Mississippi and mortgaged their future so that they could have this experience. And the five-year-old is happy for about 15 minutes. And then they hit a line. And then they say, I'm hungry. Then they say, I'm tired. Why do we have to wait here? Can't we go back? And you've seen the parents melt down. And now the dad is acting more childish than the five-year-old. And Disneyland has failed in its mission to make this family from Tupelo happy. What's happening there? Immaturity. Immaturity in the five-year-old ruined the experience, corrupted the mind, waylaid the heart of the person who should have been in charge, and now nobody is enjoying anything. And I've heard parents say, you're going to have a good time if I have to, and then comes a physical threat. (laughs) You're going to have the time of your life if I have to break every... Sir, we live in a society. Calm down. Listen to full-blown maturity in the book of James. The book of James reads very much like the book of Proverbs, written some 1,000 years earlier. Listen to James. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Say what now? You're going through a trial and you're going to see, you're not going to be happy, you're going to be something better, you're going to be joyful. Because you're going to look past the momentary suffering to something better. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. About four years ago, Army and Navy had a famous game in a snowstorm. And Navy had a short field goal to win in driving snow. But penalties and mistakes made the field goal longer. And a young future Navy officer named Bennett Mooring did his best. It would have been his career best had he made the field goal. But he was wide by just a few inches. He gave a press conference later. And he said when he missed, his knees buckled. But he'll never forget the support of his teammates rushing to him and refusing to let him fall. And he said in the end, facing the press, that though of course he wanted to win because it was his job to make that kick, he had learned so much from it and he would make the kick next time and that he wouldn't trade the experience because of all that it taught him. And a soldier, a future soldier on the other team, in all his jubilation, took a moment also to say a word of encouragement to his future brother-in-arms on the other side of the gridiron. That's maturity. That's what James is describing. Let steadfastness, when you're suffering, it'll make you steadfast. And if you let your steadfastness have its full effect, you will someday be perfect and complete, lacking in what? Nothing. 
And James says, my favorite Bible verse, perhaps one of my top three, certainly, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who, generous, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. That promise of wisdom is made in the context of suffering. God is directing and allowing suffering into your life to grow you up. Seven verses later, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. James is inviting his readers in the middle of their suffering to look past earth and look to heaven and see that someday if they hold on to Jesus and endure the trial well, they will someday be crowned by God himself. Who can do that? Only the mature. That's why you need to get serious about your spiritual maturity. That's why you need to start working on it. That's why we're going to spend these six weeks together in church talking about the biblical path all from Scripture toward maturity. A final reason you should grow up and work at it. And a word of encouragement, unlike physical development, spiritual development can happen much faster. A five-year-old cannot teach a college class anytime soon. Not even a very smart five-year-old like we all think we have. Sorry, your kid's not lecturing at Harvard next year. He's five. He might be a prodigy and do it at 14, but he won't do it at six. It's not physically possible. Spiritually. Because God is in charge and God will give all the wisdom without reproach, without entire generosity because God will help you grow as fast as you care to. And God will not delay you. Only you can delay you. Your maturity can accelerate. You can be entirely different from the Christian you are today a year from now, but it's up to you. And a final reason you should pursue maturity is this. Your maturity makes you useful. Useful to God and a blessing to other people. Only mature people can bless people. Immature people are the burden of us all. Did you hear how haughty that was? Immature people are such a burden. Do you know how many times I've been a burden? My wife said to me the other day, she wasn't being sarcastic, she was just being, she asked a sincere question which I found heartbreaking. She said, do you think you could make it through one day without deliberately annoying me? The word that hurts is deliberately. Because <laughs> if I'm just annoying, maybe I can't help it. But deliberately, that's immaturity. And I've thought about that since she asked it, and I've tried to do better. When you're immature, you're a burden. When you decide to forget what you know, forget who you are, Chuck your responsibilities and say, as was popular a few years ago, I'm done adulting. Remember that phrase? God help us all if all the adults stop acting like adults. Immaturity is destructive, it is wasteful. You have to mature. Because, Christian, that is what will make you useful to God and a blessing to other people. Here's how Paul explained it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are, read this verse with me, Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These three verses summarize all of Christian life. The verse the first two verses tell you what I've been trying to tell you. You cannot save yourself. If you are not entirely sure that you are going to heaven by the grace of Jesus, if you're still working on saving yourself, if you're still working on being sure that all is right between you and God, give up on working on it and give yourself up to Jesus. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That will welcome you into the family of God. Verse 10, if I could see verse 10 again, please. Ephesians 2.10 says that you, his child, are his workmanship, handcrafted, preciously, uniquely, individually, irrepeatably made, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared when? beforehand that you should walk in them. And if you don't know what those good works are, you better find out or you'll waste your life. Everything in this culture wants you to waste your life. Never, have a na- never has a nation been blessed with greater freedom and greater capacity and used it on dumber things. We're throwing it away. And what we need is a revival, not of nationalism. We need a revival of genuine spiritual Christian maturity. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that you should walk in them. Here's what that looks like. From your relationship with Jesus, all things will flow. Look at this little illustration that's in your notes. We'll see if we can get it on the screen as well. At the center is your relationship with Jesus. You're His disciple. He called you. He said to you, follow me. I will make you fisher of men. From that illustration, from that center of your relationship with Jesus, your home is transformed the way you deal with the government, the way you deal with society, the way you deal with your job is changed. The way you engage with God's family, which is this local church. God has many congregations. He has many bodies of Christ represented in the world. This is ours. Your relationship with Jesus fashions, influences, remakes how you deal with all of life. And your measure of maturity will make the difference of how you get along at home, how you get along on the job, how you get along with other Christians in the world. What am I trying to say to you? Simply this, the way to please God and to bless others is to grow up. That's it. You say, how dare you? Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I've been a pastor for 32 years. My occasional outburst of immaturity alarm me and break the heart of God because I was saved and called for more, and so were you. And see, the thing is, spiritual maturity is for every child of God. It's not for an elite class of people who went to seminary. 
This isn't a TED Talk. This is a family. We all answer to God, our Father. Someday He desires to crown us with life. He's already given His Son, Jesus, who died for our sins, gave us a new name, gave us a new purpose, and the only way to experience that purpose, to make a difference on this earth and to help populate heaven by help populate heaven by making a difference in eternity is for you to please your Father by growing up. Are you into it? Here's how to start. Don't miss a Sunday. We're going to walk around the table and we're going to show you, biblically speaking, stages of maturity. There are unbelievers who need to be born into the family of God. Baby Christians are exactly that. They're spiritual infants. Infants turn into children. Children grow into young adults, and hopefully someday young adults grow into parents. Every one of you is in one of those chairs somewhere, including you, the skeptic who just wandered into church. Agrees with about 20% of what I said. Appreciated the, some of the wisdom from the Bible, but rejected all of its supernatural claims. You're in this table somewhere. And by the grace of God, all of you can find your way by the grace of Jesus into the family, and every single one of you can move around the table. That's what we're going to dedicate ourselves in, in worship and in small groups for the next six weeks. Once you see the map and you see the steps, you will have, I promise you, a clear path of attitudes and habits that will grow you up spiritually. This isn't rocket surgery, as a friend of mine says. This is not complicated. The way that Jesus grows Christians into maturity so that men and women look like Him is as old as the gospel itself. Jesus took rowdy fishermen and a political activist and a sellout to the Roman Empire, put them in the same group, and after three years with Him with the gift of the Holy Spirit, they were absolutely transformed. And it was said of these same fishermen, Men like these, that they turned the world upside down, and that their enemies could see that they were ignorant, uneducated men, but that they had been with Jesus. Would you give six focused efforts in six dedicated weeks to see if you could follow Jesus more intentionally so that you could grow up? Would you do that? It's my prayer and my invitation. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you, and I thank you for your word and for your grace. God, if there's a single person here who doesn't know you and your son, Jesus Christ, I pray that as I pray, in the moment of silence, Lord, that I'm going to leave right now, that they would turn to you and turn from their sin and ask you to save them. And for the many Christians that are here, God, thank you for a full house in this first service. Help us all do what you said and follow you. Be changed to be more like you. And do, Lord, what you do, your work in the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Crosspoint said, if you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, if you have questions, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love for you to send me an email. I'd love for you to get in touch through that connection card. If you're new to our church, I'd love a chance to say hello. If today you've made a spiritual decision, you have a spiritual question. The card is the best way to let us know. Please do. God bless you. If you'll sign up for my email 
by 2 o'clock this afternoon. This afternoon, I'll send you an email to the whole church telling you what comes next. We will journey together for six weeks, and by the grace of God, when it's over, we'll be different. God bless you. Love you. Bye-bye.